our challenge, I think, is to be able to be our authentic selves. And the desire is like, if we can find our authentic connected selves and really acknowledge our, our weaknesses as part of us and not just to be fixed and our vulnerability, we're focusing on that our authentic self is about belonging, not our perfect self, that our real messy selves, when research shows that when we connect and our more vulnerable, authentic selves and other people accept us, the areas of our mind and our brain that get activated are much more focused on social connection. And then lovingly, it brings out that in other people, then other people can feel vulnerable and be their authentic self. So I think the dialogue is about how to get authentic, how to be real and accept that and to really promote going inside oneself instead of the outward image. And that's a challenge right now, I think. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Our sponsor, your Dipsia, can help transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to a surprise or your known deepest desires. Dipsia is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. So if you've lost touch with your own sexiness, want to spice up a long-term relationship, or if it's just for you to brighten up your time alone, the stories at Dipsia are there to help. It's radically inclusive. No matter how you identify or who you are attracted to, you'll find something from sweet to pretty spicy. Things will never get boring because new content is released every week, and you'll find things you didn't even know you were interested in. For our listeners, Dipsia is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsiastories.com slash tu. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsia, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash tu. That's dipsiastories.com slash tu. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly. And before we jump in today's episode... I'd like to do a few announcements. We are rolling out some more opportunities to engage with our audience and foster secure relating. So join Sue and myself, host Ann Kelly, for a free live Zoom meeting on Friday, December 1st, 2023 at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we're really excited about that. We're going to start with a general discussion topic, holding your own during holiday complexity. But we're also going to be answering other questions. So jump in and say hello, maybe meet other listeners just like you. You can also pre-submit questions as well as get the Zoom link by emailing Catherine at therapistuncensored.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for Therapist Uncensored and we'll be right there. We also have a new reading pod starting on December 3rd. So Therapist Uncensored reading pods are small groups that meet to read and discuss a book together. It's really a great way to connect and learn. This next book is Dacker Keltner's book, Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. It is such a great book. I've read it from cover to cover. If you haven't heard the interview yet, we interviewed him on our podcast, and it's a really great episode. Anyway, you can find more unique opportunities like this by becoming part of our online Neuronerd community for as little as $5 a month. 
So just go to www.therapistuncensored.com slash join. However, these reading pods are open to everyone. So just contact our new community coordinator, Laura, at L-A-R-A at therapistuncensored.com for more information. All right, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly. And I am Sue Marriott. And we are super happy that you hit play and that you're joining us today. Before we get going, we've got a great episode for you today. Wanted to do a quick shout out to our online community. We are in a mode of listening and we sent out a survey and we just really are soliciting your thoughts and your ideas. We are building our community and we are building programming for our online community. One, it's a great time to join, therapistuncensored.com backslash join. But also, if you are already a part of it, look for the survey or just let us know. Send us an email. You can also email Laura at therapistuncensored.com. It's L-A-R-A at therapistuncensored.com. So please uncensor yourself. Speak up. This is a great time. We've got, it's kind of a blank slate. We've got lots of good ideas that might be happening. So we want to hear from you and what you would like to see. All right, Anne, let's do it. Let's talk about invulnerability today. Mm, so juicy. <laughs> you know, we did a recent episode with Liz Plank talking about the Barbie movie. And in there, we talked about toxic masculinity. Of course, yeah, we, we got of, we got hassled for that a little bit, didn't we? We did. We did. <laughs> well, but you know, part of that conversation we mentioned, and you and I have really been turning more toward the concept of toxic invulnerability. I want to dive more deeply into that because let's move it out of a gender issue. We want to join. It's This isn't all about masculinity on any level, right? It's kind of a cultural phenomena in a way that is promoting in so many different ways invulnerability in us as humans. Right. It's not about gender and it's also not about just kind of the old trope of the avoidant personality or something like that. We want to talk about it in a more nuanced way for sure. This isn't new, right? It's very hip to talk about vulnerability and how important it is. And thank you, Brene Brown, right. you know, for that. I mean, it's, it's kind very, of a brand. Yeah. Yes. We've said it more times how important it is and how happy we are that it's become more of an important topic out there. You know, I always think of her herding cats and that what she's speaking of is so deeply, deeply true around two things, moving towards vulnerability for all the reasons that her research shows to do that. And then also addressing shame, which stops us from moving towards vulnerability. And I think she's been a real champion at that. And one thing that I feel like that some of this work adds to that work is some of the unconscious processes that prevent us from doing that. So it actually feels like it's related, but also, I don't know, it feels like it can extend that work. There's wonderful workbooks and, you know, study groups and things like that on the Brene Brown work. I hope that this can just kind of continue that. No, that's a really good point. And it's harder to really dive into that shame and recognize it and to recognize our own blocks to vulnerability than we think. There's so much unconsciousness to it and there's so much promoted in our society that activates us. We think that we are good at it, I think. Right. It's very easy for us to talk about other people's invulnerability, or let's try to think of real world. We don't think that person's being invulnerable. <laughs> right. We say that person's being obnoxious. <laughs> right. <laughs> or a know-it-all. Or defended or stubborn. 
as you're listening, go ahead and fill in the, you know, what your words are. And can we substitute those words for invulnerability? I'm not quite sure. We, we can play with this today. And yeah, what represents invulnerability? Because sometimes the more obvious signs of invulnerability that we've even talked about on the podcast are having a difficult time expressing your emotions, difficult time asking for help, you know, kind of being in that uber independent place. But there's other ways of invulnerability, right? There's the idea that we can't set a boundary that actually there's a lot of subtle signs of invulnerability. If I set a boundary with somebody and they reject me or if they go away and I can't tolerate that vulnerability, we develop patterns around blocking our vulnerability that we don't even know we have. Right. So you're saying if you have difficulty setting boundaries because you're worried about the other person's reaction, then you're fuzzy with your boundaries that that's a version of invulnerability because it's more vulnerable to set the boundary than it is to not set the boundary and be blurry. Okay, but wait, let's study that for a second, can we? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's say I get defensive. Not that I ever do. <laughs> ever. <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> but let's say I get defensive, theoretically. Does that mean I'm being invulnerable? I think that's a great question. Because I don't think it does. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that black As a matter or fact, white. It, it means that I'm probably feeling vulnerable. Yeah, but I think the concept of letting yourself feel vulnerable is different than, you know, I think that's the struggle, right? It's whether we allow ourselves to feel the vulnerability. If you get really defensive, I agree with you. All right. So I'll acknowledge that I get defensive sometimes every once in a while. <laughs> but in our defensiveness, it's likely that we're experiencing a sense of vulnerability and it becomes intolerable to feel it. And so we can pop into our defended self to say, well, that's not actually true without actually acknowledging the vulnerability of what if it is, or even if it is. So feeling defensive is actually vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. But the action of being defensive and of staying in a defensive state is where that we kind of are turning away from vulnerability and staying in a more defended place, like armoring up is then when we're moving towards invulnerability. Would you say that? I think that is a way to really conceptualize it. So it was a really good summary. So it goes from like a feeling of vulnerability. And so then therefore I'm, I'm either maybe avoiding or maybe I'm getting preoccupied, but then the action of it and then just kind of going with it and the behaviors that come from that, then I'm moving into a place of less vulnerability and what we're calling now invulnerability. And maybe we can distinguish between invulnerability and then toxic invulnerability. Right, because we're all going to fall into invulnerability, right? I mean, we're not going to walk around in this vulnerable state and being able to be self-reflective and aware. Right? I was just thinking of like that. Pillsbury Doe's Pillsbury Doe's boy, or, or the Michelin Man, you know, or something like some sort of like mushy character. We wouldn't want that. Absolutely not. But the idea of it being toxic—that's a whole realm of dialogue, isn't it? How is it toxic to us individually? How is it toxic to our relationships? And then how is it toxic to our community? And I would say all three levels. It really is. And for me, when I think about the concept of being toxic. It's toxic for the individual. Let's talk about that first. But when does it go from just invulnerability to where it begins to be? And again, let's think of toxic, like poisonous, bad for, rigid. Well, that's rigid's a good one, right? I think where it runs into toxicity is when it becomes more an embedded place that we live. 
Like we're all going to visit there. We're going to walk around in our defended, like I'm not going to be vulnerable in this moment place. And then hopefully we can move when we come down to a place of reflection. Right. And that's by design and that's right. to protect us. Right. But I think we're talking about getting stuck someplace. Right. Where we get stuck in like more entrenched patterns of invulnerability that then become more of our way of life and, and often unconscious. Brene Brownoff talks about perfectionism, right? You don't think about perfectionism as being around invulnerability, but it is. If I have to be perfect and really good at what I do, that can look wonderful to everyone around you because you're so good at it, whatever that is. But when it becomes a threat to not be in a perfectionistic state, when we don't recognize that, I think that we're in a defensive posture, that our nervous system is running in a defensive posture, then that's where it can become toxic. I guess it, like we can be even literal when we talk about toxic to our body. We talk about this a lot, right? Our body knows that we need one another, that we're interconnected. Yeah, that's part of why it scares us so badly to be disconnected. Very true. And to be close, both. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> People are scary. <laughs> Let's be honest. Ah! <laughs> you we, don't need, we don't need Halloween. <laughs> Well, I guess when we talk about it related to masculinity, that's really the concept. People often mistake the concept of toxic masculinity as we're saying that to be masculine is toxic or men are toxic. And it's the opposite of that, right? It's like the promotion of men need to be strong and that society for a long time says they shouldn't have any weakness and that they should be uber independent. They should be the Clint Eastwoods of, I don't need anybody. And specifically, it's toxic for their body because our body is smarter. Our body and brain are smarter than our, I guess, cultural learnings. And they, we know we need each other. So how it becomes toxic is that if I cut off that awareness, my body still knows I need other people. And so instead we stay in a kind of chronic state of threat underneath the surface. Our body does. Yeah. So another way it becomes toxic is so people that are raised as boys and men, especially those that are raised with more traditional gender roles, are more likely, one, like you're saying, to internalize some of these different power differences, but also they're more likely to be in physical fights with one another, with men, other men, and also to engage in physical violence with women or people who identify as women. When you talk about toxicity, it's like literally toxic. Right. It's literally toxic for them individually, for their relationships. And I think it's such a caring thing to talk about toxic masculinity is the opposite of what it sounds. But I do think that it's important. And we both have agreed to this. Like we want to get it out of the gender dialogue because it ends up hiding the really robust, important aspects of it. When we say masculinity, it's toxic well, it all, and vulnerability. It sounds blaming too. Oh, right? it does. Yeah. Right. That toxic and vulnerability hurts men as much as it hurts women. And it disempowers them, it entraps them as much as it does women. So, right, getting gender out of this idea of you're either on the bus of working towards mutuality and, and relationality, or you aren't, and you're armored up, and you're, you're on the hummer of self-protection and the invulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your political orientation, it doesn't matter your age. It's more about that stance than it is about any of those other groupings. Exactly. Exactly. And we want to broaden it because it's not just men that are getting this message. I think that's a really core 
important point. In fact, you could think with all the dialogue around how important vulnerability would be and to not send that message, that that would be an easier adjustment, right? That, that happens for all of us, right? We learn something's unhealthy for us and we stop doing it, all of us, right? Mm, so no, <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> and as a society, neither do we do. But you know, we're also, if we think about the culture that is current, the force of social media, I think of that, the, the force of news and politicians and how there is still such a deep embedded sense of keeping us in a state of fear around vulnerability. If we are vulnerable, we're going to be taken advantage of. We have people who promote kind of laughing at one another. Politicians will laugh at other politicians' weaknesses. Like, And we're sending that as a message to our culture that that's okay if we solidify that. I really think about the impact of social media, though. And I want to dive into a little bit of that in terms of how much social media emphasizes our present presentation and how we come across, how we should come across and how we can perfect our image by working on it over and over and over again to be able to send out to say, this is who I am. I think probably everybody's had this experience of watching not just the younger population. I think it's grown dramatically, but like ending up taking picture after picture after picture of themselves to get just the right one to put out on social media. And we could see that as about that individual and about it being sort of painful that they need that perfect image. But if you stop to think about what social media represents, it is to capture that sense of the best look of the most seductive. This is who I am. And how much that impacts that individual and everybody that gets those images and the pressure that it puts. There's a lot of pressure on individuals, especially our young individuals, to present themselves in a way that's almost invulnerable. Okay, so story time. Okay, <laughs> is let's that do okay? It. Yeah. First, I want to say how much I'm on the Beyonce boat, and how much I'm a huge fan, such a huge fan that you know we schlepped to Houston and saw the concert and loved it. All those things. This was an important, like journey that I took. So we got there, there were tons of people and there were a lot of folks that were holding the phone out and taking 30 pictures. And I guess we're a little bit out of touch. So that was a little bit, you know, we noticed it. And then the people sitting in front of us are taking the pictures of themselves as we're waiting. But then the concert starts and they're continuing to take pictures of themselves or video themselves watching the concert. So tracking all this, this is interesting. I'm not, it's not judgment. It's more of like what, it, kind of like what you're saying, like, what does this mean? What's happening? Then I noticed in the concert, it almost was like I was listening to an album. It was so produced. And then I thought, <laughs> do you remember the big screens, right? The screens, mm -hmm. it was the most amazing video production that was going on above. So much so that your eyes were constantly on the screen. You, you couldn't hardly see the dancers and stuff. So your eyes would pop up to the screen. And I think you and I both said this, that we found ourselves sort of watching the screen, even when we wanted to look down and watch the actual concert. So then I noticed that she's, as she's singing and dancing and being her amazing, incredible self, that she's also sort of playing to the video because the video is projecting so that every, all of us can see her. So then I'm thinking of all these people that, are, I mean, she's a goddess to these young women. But you see what I mean? It was like this echo of echo of echo. 
And I didn't know what to make of it, but it's just sort of, that's the story that popped to mind about this. So how does that relate to toxic invulnerability, I guess? Well, if we think about it first, just as invulnerable, and we'll leave the word toxic aside for just yeah, a second. Yeah, that's good. It feels like the image, and I, and I left with the same feeling, is, is that the image of what was happening, the capturing it for the future in such an amazingly perfect way ended up being sort of the priority. So the connection to the audience, we, did, we, we left feeling like, wait, I missed feeling the connection. And you're totally right, because as we walked out, I did notice, like sometimes when you leave a concert, you're just like pumped up and you're like, and you're high-fiving all the strangers around you and you're just like talking, you're processing it. And I did notice as we walked out, it was like everybody was quiet and wasn't bad. Nobody, everybody was, would have said it was a great concert and they it did. It was a great and concert. And it was a great concert. It was. But there was something like, I think we all left with an admiration for this beautiful, talented woman. Yes. But not necessarily feeling close to her or that we knew her. Right. I felt like I knew her less. And she was in her hometown, Houston, Texas. I felt like I knew her less after the show than I did before the show. And then I felt less connected to my, like that. I wanted to be fangirl. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to be like screaming. Because ah. <laughs> um, you are a fangirl. I am. You know what's so I, funny? Yes. Let's bring it into the active moment of vulnerability right now. Okay, good. So as we're talking about it, we are talking to an audience probably of a lot of people who love Beyonce, maybe, and who were at that concert because there were so many people at that concert. And I'm like, yeah. imagine feeling the vulnerability of the the responses we're going to get in saying anything negative <laughs> about that concert, right? And so It's true. Right. We, and we probably will. It's okay. We're, we're open we to that. We love her. Is that not clear? I, love. Yeah, but the, lo hey, as sassy middle-aged women, we go to these rock concerts. We are cool. We love Beyonce. <laughs> Okay. I'm defending okay. myself. See, I'm defending myself. Right. Well, <laughs> I was mean, getting I, activated. I, this is what we all experience. This isn't those people over there experiencing the impact of social media. This is us. We all experience it. We're oh, with right. you. So you were anticipating getting negative review yes. and negative message. Well, right. and then you just saying it, then I was defending myself. <laughs> right. So this is the live action of invulnerability, exactly. right? This, and this is how social media impacts all of us. We are going to be our authentic self. This is Therapist Uncensored. So we are going to just talk about this and really kind of be in the muck with everybody, right? That's what we want. But in doing so, we can feel our own vulnerability of, oh, because in social media, one of the things, well, just social, it, it, there's, it's immediate. Right. The, the things that really can impact us besides just, okay, here's our image going out, it needs to be perfected, it kind of lives, is that because it's non-relational, we're not having a direct relationship with the individuals. We can do all sorts of things that can be about social rejection, which is dangerous for our bodies, right? Like I get that if people unfollow us, it's not actually literally dangerous to us. Well, but it can hurt. Well, it, it, it particularly hurts if they tell us that they're unfollowing. You know, if you're going to unfollow, just unfollow. But if you <laughs> have to announce that you're unfollowing, <laughs> it's like getting the finger as you're, you know, driving. As you're, as you're at the door. It's like... We're really excited about our sponsor, ZocDoc. So as a psychologist, I'm often trying to help people find a referral for a good psychiatrist or another therapist, including ones with specialties like EMDR. And it can be so difficult, especially ones that are taking new clients. And ZocDoc has become a real resource for me. 
is a great place, not just to find therapists, but you can find out about any type of doctor, specialist that you need from a primary doctor to a heart specialist. In fact, I was able to use ZogDoc to help my daughter in a whole other state find a general practitioner. So it was a huge relief. So ZogDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. So, because when you're not feeling your best, trying to hold it together and find the right doctor, it just shouldn't take all your energy. So go to ZocDoc.com TU and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. So many are available within 24 hours. So that's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-U, ZocDoc.com slash T-U. There are so many skin creams on the market and finding one that really works sometimes is overwhelming and can seem impossible. I look for products in general that focus on research and development, and this is why I was drawn to OneSkin. It was founded by a team of four female PhD scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. So they tested almost a thousand peptides before they landed on OS1. Now, the OS1 peptide targets age cells, also called senescent cells, which is the main source of skin aging. So the buildup of old cells impairs the collagen production and leads to loss of firmness. And OS1 has been found to actually reduce the biological age of the skin by reducing the number of the senescent cells by up to 50%. Uh, so their S1 phase is clinically validated, both in their in-house R&D as well as their third-party 12-week clinical study. And it improved firmness by 95.5% and wrinkles uh, in about 80, 87%. It just overall improved tone and appearance. And I feel I can tell the difference in my own skin. Our listeners get 15% off with the code TU. You go to oneskin.com and enter the code TU for 15% off. That's oneskin.com. That code is TU for 15% off. I think you're really going to like it. The experience of knowing that you can get an immediate, quick judgment, critique, and rejection and cut off. The cut off from social media is so easy. And our ability to judge one another on social media is so easy because you know, what's judgment about, right? Judgment is an activation inside of us that often is about self-protection. I don't like the part of me you're bringing out, so I'm going to judge you even more harshly so I don't have to feel it. I'm oversimplifying it, but I just was like thinking, oh my gosh, like every time we are out there in any public forum, we are open to rejection. Well, that's exactly what 20-year-olds feel Oh, that's really empathic. I really like what you're saying. Right. Like how much, how many likes, how many, and, and how the vulnerability of that. And it's there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of positive about social media. This isn't an anti-social no, media I don't, podcast. I don't think it's coming across that way at all. I think that that's right. And stop me if this takes us off. But like I was thinking when you were saying you're not in relationship, that there's that new neuroscience article about even Zoom, when you're Zooming with someone, even if it's a one-on-one thing, that the social emotional parts of your brain don't light up in the same way as it does when you are live, when you're sharing molecules. That's not really a surprise, but social media is, you know, removed even from, I mean, much removed even from that because, yeah, I mean, even just the image of the camera turned towards oneself 
for an audience, for an unknown audience that is ready to like, not like, and you're ready to count the likes and, oh, just, it's just, oh, it makes me cringe. It's painful. It's vulnerable. It is so vulnerable. And where, where I think it becomes toxic for our culture is if we don't have our own awareness of it, our own ability to ground ourselves, like you were saying, without the full social emotional capacity inside our brain being activated, then we don't have that part of us that it can be compassionate and connecting and understanding of the other person. And instead we can quickly cut and not actually even feel or imagine feeling the impact on the other person. We can just do an active rejection or a snippy response. I see what you're saying. The other side being true too. So the person putting it out there, that's one half of it. But then the other half is it's also the invulnerability of the thumbs down or the snarky comment or the really cruel comment that you're much more likely to do that over social media than you are otherwise and how harmful that is. And that's where it gets into toxic versus just. Yeah, it's toxic for the individuals because we're not actually needing to be even culpable for our own impact on other people. And we're being drawn out so much when we're thinking about like a whole generation's being brought up with this, like how hard it is and how challenging it must be. And I still find it incredibly challenging. And I had a whole, since you said we were middle-aged, we had a lot of life before social media existed. But the powerful nature of how hard it is to get inside of ourselves anyway, to really know ourselves, to really go more deeply and not think about how other people think of us and get to know our mistakes and our weaknesses and our strengths. I mean, that's just a challenge anyway. But when you're brought up on this constant feedback loop and threat system, it really makes it harder to go deep into your own vulnerabilities and get to know them. Yeah, to kind of develop that capacity to be able to feel discomfort and stay engaged and to stay socially engaged, which is kind of the way that we describe secure relating or staying in the green zone of relating yeah. So, so going back to the idea of toxic vulnerability. Toxic invulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's a great slip, I think. <laughs> Scary vulnerability. How about we call it that? But the val valuable vulnerability, you know, the... Yes. So that that's what we're swimming towards is feeling vulnerability and recognizing it as not toxic, like I just said, but that is something desirable. And something to be proud of and something very adult and something, I hate the idea of being manly, right? That that's such a gendered thing, but really sexy manliness is being able to be vulnerable and being able to feel your feelings and express yourself. So really changing the cultural notion of that, whereas stoicism and being zipped up and, you know, not speaking or just letting ourselves be too anxious and acting on that and acting on that and acting on that and everybody else has to deal with our anxiety. And as we make noise about our anxiety is another version of this invulnerability. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's one of the things I wanted to for sure go more deeply in is what are these signs of invulnerability we don't recognize? Because we often spoke, speak about the stoicism and the uber independence. We've done a lot on that and kind of flipping it over to the other side. Let's say the vulnerability of our kids and our kids struggling or something going wrong, et cetera. And so we have to fix it, fix it, fix it. There is a message that we're sending to them and within us that says having a problem is not okay. Feeling that sense of insecurity, 
with your friends at school is not okay, yet it's the norm. It's important for them to go through that. And then our own vulnerability that we're avoiding by trying to fix it and trying to stay in that hyperactive state is an, a state of invulnerability. It's not as easy to recognize it as the stoicism, but it is. It's, I can't live with the discomfort inside of me that makes me feel weak or scared if I see my kids suffering. And literally sitting with that vulnerability is really, really hard. So we have all these strategies to avoid it, don't we? That we don't even recognize as strategies yeah, I'm so to live at, in our I'm defense. I'm so mad at you right now for, <laughs> God, like that's just a gut one right there. And so true. And I also think that what we're talking about, and I love the parenting example. I mean, for the parents out there who can't relate to giving into our own anxiety and our own needs at the expense of our kids. That's certainly so relatable. But also, like, I want to hold the idea of toxic lightly because we're not just trying to point out what's wrong or what we're doing wrong. It's not like, oh, that's this and that's this at all. I think what we're really trying to do is we won't call it toxic until it's like extreme, extreme, extreme. And it's when you refuse to do anything about it and when it's rigidifies and when it's, like you said earlier, Anne, you said entrenched. That over there, I'm pushing my hands away. That over there is what we mean by toxic. The invulnerability part is natural and it is part of our defensive structure. And so we don't want you as you're hearing this to hear it as sort of name calling or as problematic. It's more of like we want, instead we want it to evoke curiosity and openness. And like, so as you can feel yourself, like even when you mention the parenting, oh, it really did. It's just gutting. And again, if you just, any of you thinking, if you can think of your child or your pet or, you know, your beloved, whoever your beloved is and something happening to them, you know, that's when we need our defenses and that's when Absolutely. we need. So the idea, what Anne's challenging us to do is in that most vulnerable place to be able to stand in and still, even when we're imagining that, you know, needing to do the right thing, staying engaged, even with our fear and our anxieties in that most vulnerable state, that that is what we're cultivating. It's hard work. It's very difficult. And it is the right thing. And it's about staying engaged and staying connected to yourself and doing the better thing, which is rather than just kind of the lazy, or I hate to use that word, uh, it's the, but the- um, I take the word out of, it's not the lazy, it's the more automated. The automated. It's not lazy, it's automated. It's, it's The automated more, reactivity, right. 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 That is more, that can be more self-serving. Yeah, I love that we put it in because toxicity is about really being uh, allowing it to be unrecognized and just entrenched. And well, if re we, not a lot like refusing to recognize it. Oh, that's a good way to reframe it. Yeah, I mean that's also really important. We're not going. I will not recognize my vulnerability. It's unconscious. We have to slow down and feel the discomfort inside of us to recognize that. But let me ask you this. If it's okay. unconscious, if somebody's really, truly not aware, somebody has been programmed by culture to be the one to know and be the one to be turned to, or like being the helper and just so automatically helps, but it's often not for the other person. It's, it's so that I can feel like a good helper and it's unconscious. Is that necessarily toxic? I don't know. Is it? You know, we're using the word toxic and that's a powerful word, right? Poisonous. That's why I think I was wanting to preserve yeah. it for 
people who refuse to change it. Well, but I but oh, I'm going to challenge you on that because going back to toxic's extreme way to put it, we need maybe a lesser word, but if if I'm jumping in because I can't handle the vulnerability that I feel if I see let's say my kid feels insecure and really struggling and if I'm not aware of my own difficulty with that, I may jump in continuously to either fix it or let's say our child is feeling insecure with this friendship network at school and comes home and says saying they're rejecting me or I don't feel part of things and things like that, that by the way, everybody feels. If I'm not recognizing my own activation by that, I might try to move my child away from those feelings either by either discounting and putting down the peers or disregarding their struggle. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Everybody feels that way. There's a lot of different ways that it can then strip our child from going through their own difficulties and knowing that those insecurities are natural and allowing our children to feel our insecurities and being with them in there. So can we call it harmful and vulnerability? Impactful. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't want to say that that's toxic. I do every bit of what I just said I've done. I can do like, there's no part of me thinking I walk around as a toxic parent, but I do think that the, we're not calling anybody toxic. We're saying the emphasis on invulnerability can be toxic. This isn't about any personal person. It's that if we believe that we shouldn't have weaknesses or insecurities and we continue to perpetuate that because really what's toxic is our society, our global society, sending the message that to have weakness, to be messy, you need to fix it. Something's wrong. If you don't do your best, like that whole idea of just do your best be the best at whatever. It sends this message of comparison, right? Like, oh, well, did I do my best? Or it sends I should be better than, rather than helping as a culture, as a community, helping us feel safer going inside and just being okay that we're going to have messiness. And we also have strengths. And that's all part of all of us because our goal is for secure relating with ourselves, but with other people. And if we're not recognizing our own focus on invulnerability, then we're losing the way we can more authentically connect to people. So if we think of vulnerability about authenticity, because I think some people think of vulnerability as I can cry in front of other people or I can't. And we can be an emotional mess and still be invulnerable. Just because we cry does not mean that we could be crying for ourselves. I mean, we, I don't want to get into those details, but I think the message is authenticity. Can we be our authentic selves? We get back to those pictures, right? If I'm being pulled towards the most important thing is the image that I'm giving. The most important thing is to show that I'm the sexiest or whatever it is in these images. And if I'm able to do that, then I'm going to get acceptance and belonging and feel part of things. But if I show my authentic self who says something stupid or as a, you know, then I'm going to be open for rejection and a quick cutoff. Like the cutoff of social media is, I think, one of the most devastating things right now that I can see hitting all of us, right? I'm like, oh, how many people are going to like, because we said something about a Beyonce concert, right? Like, but our challenge, I think, is to be able to be our authentic selves. And the desire is like, if we can find our authentic connected selves and really acknowledge our, our weaknesses as part of us and not just to be fixed and our vulnerability, we're focusing on that our authentic self is about belonging 
not our perfect self, that our real messy selves, when research shows that when we connect and are more vulnerable, authentic selves and other people accept us, the areas of our mind and our brain that get activated are much more focused on social connection. And then lovingly, it brings out that in other people, then other people can feel vulnerable and be their authentic self. So I think the dialogue is about how to get authentic, how to be real and accept that and to really promote going inside oneself instead of the outward image. And that's a challenge right now, I think. I think that's great. I think that was really well said. And yeah, I don't want to get lost in the what's toxic or toxic as name calling. You know, I think just to take a couple steps back, I think the bigger thing is that this isn't about, like you just said, that it's not about an individual. It's not name calling. It's not about a gender at all. Toxic and vulnerability is about the act of an authenticity and, and, and staying out of connection and relationship. And I want to say, you know, kind of refusing to get, to move into a more mutual relational space. That's the way that I'm thinking of it. And we can all think of it a little bit differently. So that's kind of the bigger picture. And then I think that we also then dove into the more individual picture of like, what does that look like for us, each of us individually? And then I was also thinking about, so the young people that are taking, and our young people some of our young people are included in that. So it's like, this is all of us, you know, of taking the 30 pictures. It's like, I was thinking about those young people at the concert. It's like, there's no way to walk up to them and be like, oh no, you don't have to do that. You're good. You're already good. You know what I mean? Like that would be out of relationship with them, I think. Right. Because part of what they could be capturing, the argument could be on their place. They want, this is like an amazing experience that they get to be in the presence of this incredible performer. And so they're capturing something for themselves that they can hold it. And that would be really wonderful. But why the 30 times? That's what I'm saying. Well, it wasn't just 30. It was honestly, I mean, fortunately there's not, I mean, it's honestly, it was the entire concert. I don't know that I saw much of being able to just go in, like, this sounds... Uh, let me step away from that because I have no idea what their internal experience is. I have no idea. But from the feeling about being able to get inside oneself and be in oneself, I think that's going to be really hard to do with a camera pointed at you and the images being taken. It just is a challenge. And, and we could, I mean, I'm open for arguments. So some people may be doing that and feel very enlivened in themselves. For me, it felt like more about, like it wasn't in the moment. And our challenge in an authentic self is to be able to find our internal selves while with others. And it was even interesting at that concert because it was really hard to see her because actually her image was quite dark because the lighting yeah, I was know. set up. That was up. my point. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have great seats, so we were really far back. But <laughs> but the way that the image was done, it was she was so dark except for the reflection you know, and it, there was something we talked a lot about that, didn't we? It, it was it was something about that we're going to capture this moment for a later date. Yeah, and that's what you're talking about. Yes, it's an as if instead of being in the moment. It's as if. I mean, just to stick with the concert stuff. This is in contrast to Lizzo. Yes, everyone be impressed how cool I am. Um, but in the Lizzo concert, I, I was really struck by like she literally stopped and turned on the house lights and went around all the upper sections and like you there in the pink top, you know, let me see you like on every single section she went and she, she said, I see you, I see you, I see you. And 
that was such an amazing experience. And I, I can tell you on that one, you know, you're walking out talking to strangers and, and, you know, you're part of an experience. And again, not better, or worse, but there's something about like being with in the immediacy of the moment. So I don't know if this really, if that adds to. What no, I think it does not. because I think that's, I mean, if we get to kind of what now, like what are, you know, from a secure relating place, what we're wanting to talk about or what we are talking about is the invulnerability and how that plays into us not being like living, to put it in those framework, it, it, what part of us is living our more protected defensive positions and we don't know it because if we are not in ourselves and connected then we need to check out, are we in our more defensive selves unconsciously? Because if we're in our perfected, our presentation selves, we're not in our th authentic self. So to really be in our more Going connected. Inside. Yeah, I think you're right on talking. Being in our more connected selves, we have to be sort of aware, right? Like when I was all of a sudden preoccupied with, oh my gosh, we're saying something negative about Beyonce. I left the conversation for a minute, right? And then I'm like, you know what? We're speaking authentically and we just have to keep doing that and trusting our audience out there, they get to have thoughts and feelings and opinions and we want to hear them, but can they be expressed in relation? Write us an email and talk to us about what you think instead of let me drop and run. Like I think the drop and run of social media- It's scary. I'm going to go even beyond that. Like it's, I think it's not good for our culture. It's not only, so if we think about the toxicity of the individual, but also of our relationships, how does- Cancel culture. The, oh, cancel culture is so powerful. Like dating, I was talking to somebody really recently about their experience about the dating sites and how hard it is, like the flip left and the flip right. How quick, what is that based on? Is it based on a profile that says I'm the funniest, I'm the smartest I can, or is it based on sort of an authentic connection? And I'm not saying that that can't happen there, but the challenge would be what are, how connected are you to your authentic self and are you looking for that and welcoming and opening of others that can really be in their authenticity? And I think that advocating for us to be able to be more comfortable with our vulnerability and authenticity and stay in connection. So when we're relating on social media or we're relating with other people around Thanksgiving table, that we can hold ourselves. Hold ourselves being your badass self. The way that you came back into the conversation was you shared what stopped you. So you went more relational rather than kind of thinking to yourself, we're just going to cut this part or, <laughs> or trying to signal to me like, no, no, no. You know what I mean? Like you, <laughs> yeah. you stayed with it and then told me about it and then shared about it. And then that was beautiful. Right. Cause it's going to happen, right? No, you're modeling kind of what it is we're talking about. So I love this. I appreciate this conversation and Kelly. It's been thought-provoking, and I will continue to think about it. And I hope that you all continue to think about, just in general, how to stay inside yourself, in your green zone, authentic, connected, and not to be upset when you begin to drift and get a little bit wound up, but curious and kind of keeping your hands on the steering wheel so you can steer your way back in and be deliberate. And how to promote that and help support that in other people. And the best way of doing that is to do that first yourself. Do it for yourself. Show self-compassion. Don't look for perfection in self. Show self-compassion. But also, you know, we're going into some really complex seasons of elections, et cetera. I'm not bringing into, but just like, don't look for that in other people. Don't like really listen to what it is is important to you and go for that. And not, let's not join in the disconnected, quick, judgmental over there 
kind of perspective. Well, even I think just to kind of wrap, going back and calling up those young people that we're talking about with the phones, right? So rather than standing back and looking at them or like, you really should put your phone down and watch the concert. Like that isn't at all what was happening. I don't think, I mean, maybe that was happening some, (laughs) but that's not where I want to land. It's more of like, I really wanted to understand. And I think that I did more deeply that the concert that they're watching, that was what their hero was doing. And their hero was doing that because that's what the culture community wants the hero to do. You know what I mean? Like it's this, never ending circle. And so understanding, you know, whatever it is that you're seeing that you don't understand, that person is doing that for a really good reason that makes a lot of sense to them in that moment, even if it's a symptom of something. And we don't have to understand it all, but seeing them as embedded in, there's a whole history that led up to whatever that moment is. And there's a whole future that none of us know about for that person. And just keeping that humility and that kindness and that love and compassion for them as well. Just going to add one other thing, and that is also to look for how you are also represented in that, in what ways you can relate, because we each have our own version of that, right? So it's, especially generationally, it's very easy to sit and go, that generation back then, which was, but like, look for your own version, because that way you're connecting with the aspect of I get it, and you're connected to your own struggles with things. And it allows whatever goes forward from that, it's going to be more relatable and a more secure position. We're all human. There's almost nothing out there that if you look hard enough, you can't find your version. of. It's true. It's true. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. We really appreciate it. And appreciate you hanging all the way in. Again, invite you to join our online community. It's a great time to do that. Therapistuncensored.com backslash join. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you around the bend. Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 